Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 14, which I think are on page 1184 of Church Bibles. Colossians 3, 1 to 14. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these things, all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Thanks, Jonathan. Um, Morning, everyone. Do keep your Bibles open, page 1184. That would be great. And um, let me begin with a question. It is a serious question. Where do you struggle to change? How do you struggle to change? Uh, Different struggles among us. Maybe it's a struggle with always wanting more, more money, more food, more stuff. And um, you'd love to find a place where it's enough. But, but it never is. Maybe it's a struggle with lust, a person at work or at school who you can't stop thinking about, um, a habit of looking at online pornography that's turned into an addiction and you can't stop. Maybe it's a struggle with anger. You don't want to lose your temper and scare the kids, but you do. You don't want to be constantly irritated with that person, but you are. Maybe it's a struggle with bitterness, holding on to an old hurt um, that you'd like to let go, but forgiving is just so hard. Whether we're Christian believers or not this morning, we all struggle with that kind of change. And through these words of the Apostle Paul, God calls us to make some big changes. Feel the force of these words. Verse 5, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Verse 8, you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Verse 9, do not lie to each other. Middle of verse 12, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, 
humility, gentleness, and patience. Verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive. Verse 14, and over all these virtues, put on love. That's a lot of change that God asks of us, isn't it? I wonder which struggles in those verses you uh, identify with. And I wonder how those words leave you feeling discouraged, overwhelmed, determined to do better, tempted to give up. Well, if we hear those calls to change and we take them seriously, then there's a misstep we have to avoid making. It's the misstep of seeking change through self-help. That's what Paul was warning us about in last week's passage, um, a religious version of self-help with lots of man-made rules uh, to improve our behavior. And Paul says that kind of self-help seems wise. We are drawn to it, but it's useless. But seeking to change ourselves through willpower and sheer self-effort doesn't work. See, the key to real change um, it's not in those verses that, that we just looked at. It's in the verses that I left out. Not where we're told, here are the big changes God asks you to make for Him, but where we're told, here is the much bigger change God has already done for us, a massive change through Christ for those who struggle. So here's where we're going this morning. Um, we're going to think first about the engine of Christian change? What is it that drives forward real change among us? And then we're going to think about the expression of Christian change. What does real change look like among us? So let's think about the first of those, the engine of Christian change, knowing our new life in Christ. We're going to begin by looking uh, back at verses 1 to 4, and as we do, um, just see if you can spot a little phrase that comes up three times. Verse 1, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Did you spot it? Little phrase that comes up three times, with Christ. Verse 1, we've been raised with Christ. Verse 3, our life is now hidden with Christ. Verse 4, this one's cheating a little bit. We will appear with him, with Christ, in glory. See, here's the engine of real change. The Christian has been connected up with Christ, joined to Him. And now that we've been united with Him, we have a whole new life. Here's what I mean. It's a bit like being handcuffed to someone. Uh, you know, if you're handcuffed to someone, you have no choice but to be with them, do you? So just imagine that tomorrow you wake up to find yourself handcuffed to a world tennis champion. And for the purposes of this illustration, um, I'd like you to forget all the things that immediately leave to mind. Uh, how did I get handcuffed to this person? How is this legal? 
uh, this is just weird. Forget about those things. They, they don't matter. Uh, you find yourself handcuffed to a world tennis champion, and that means that wherever they go, you go. If they go on holiday to Barbados, you go on holiday to Barbados. If they go onto the court to train, then you go onto the court with them. Wherever it is they go home to, that's where you go. Uh, not the, the one-bedroom uh, bedsit with the cupboard doors that, that don't fit, that you used to live in, but a luxury mansion. That's home now, because you're with them. Uh, and whatever happens to them happens to you. Uh, if they're treated to a, a banquet, then you eat it with them. If they're whisked off on tour, then you join them. When they win a tournament, uh, you are right there with them, sharing uh, in the glory, the victory, as the crowd erupts. See, it's impossible to overstate what a big change this is. When you were joined with them, your old life ended, and a new life began, bound to theirs. In fact, it doesn't really make sense to think of two separate lives anymore, your life and their life. They are your life. So closely are you connected with them. And if we belong to Jesus, that illustrates the reality of our new life with Christ. God has joined us with him, and it's like he's used unbreakable handcuffs so that whatever happens to Jesus happens to us. Wherever he goes, we go. Verses 1 to 4, that means we have a new past. The old us died, died with Christ when he died to forgive us and free us from our sins. The old me who stood under God's judgment and hated God's ways is dead. It means we have a new present. Just as Jesus was raised to life, so we've been raised with him. Spiritually speaking, the Christian has already died and gone to heaven with Christ. Uh, no, we don't see that at the moment. Our life is hidden. But we are with him. Whatever we've done, whatever's been done to us, however we struggle with sin and temptation and suffering, our life is hidden with Christ in God. That's what most defines us now. And it means we have a new future, a certain future, that as surely as Christ will appear in glory, we will appear in glory with him. That's where we're going. A new past, a new present, a new future with Christ. See, when someone becomes a Christian, we tend to think that they're making Jesus a part of their story. You know, they realize that they need forgiveness, they need Jesus, and so they ask him to come into their lives, and now their story continues, but with Jesus as a part of it. And that's not all wrong, but do we see from this that the change that happens when we become a Christian is much greater than that? For it's not just that we invite Jesus to be part of our story, but that he draws us into his story. His story becomes ours. Uh, his story of dying and rising and coming in glory, well, that's us. 
a new past. The old me is dead. A new present, risen to life with God. A new future, coming in glory. Jesus' story has become our story. So much bigger than just him being a little additional bit of our story. See, I haven't just invited Jesus into my life. He's invited me to share in his life. And the engine for real change is to know that. In Paul's words, to set our minds on Christ and our new life, which are really the same thing. Because that's the context for Christian change by grasping that whatever big changes we need to make, a much bigger change has already taken place. When we wrestle with who we are and what our story is, looking to Christ, who's our life, who's drawn us into his story, reminding ourselves that whatever we struggle with, we struggle with Christ. Now, that won't come naturally to us when we struggle. Naturally, we'll focus on earthly schemes for self-help, self-improvement. We do that, don't we? And when we do, I think Paul would say to us, we're bypassing real help. Shift your focus upwards. Focus on Christ and our new life in Him. For dwelling on our new life leads to a new lifestyle. Uh, which brings us to the next thing. That was the engine of Christian change, focusing, uh, knowing our new life in Christ. Let's move to the expression of Christian change, living out our new life in Christ. If someone were to ask you, what do you think are the biggest ideas in our culture? I wonder what you'd say. Yeah, the biggest, most widespread ideas. Well, maybe you remember... Um, from a couple of weeks ago, this. Be true to yourself. That's got to be one of the biggest catchwords in our culture, hasn't it? Um, here's how to do life. Be who you are. Express the real you. Be true to yourself. Uh, such a widespread message. It, it just seems obvious, doesn't it? And two weeks ago, Scott was showing us how that idea, be true to yourself, it has its good sides, but it can be deeply unhelpful. And we need to make sure we don't just absorb it without questioning it. But before we ditch be true to yourself, I think Paul would say, not so fast. This idea can really help us do life. We just need to make one essential change. Be true to your new self. See that in verse 9. We're to stop lying to each other because... You have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Do we see what he's saying? He's saying, be true to yourself, not true to your old self who hated God and his ways. That's not who you are anymore. They're dead. Be true to your new self who's been joined to Christ. You've been drawn into his story. That's who you are now. So be who you are. Express the real you. And that means there are some things we stop doing, we must stop doing, because they don't fit with our new lives, 
with the new you. A bit like old clothes. Um, imagine that by some fluke, uh, you become royalty or some awful national disaster. You find yourself becoming a, ki a king or a queen. Well, um, I imagine that we dress differently. There would be some clothes that, that we take off and we wouldn't wear anymore because they didn't fit with our new royal lives. Well, it's the same with belonging to Christ. There are some things we put off because they don't fit anymore with our new lives in Him. Things like sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. It's no surprise if you relate to something on that list, or to lots of them. Paul wouldn't be saying this stuff to Christians if Christians still didn't still struggle with these things. But when we do find ourselves drawn to this stuff, we need to remind ourselves it doesn't belong anymore. It's not who we are. Uh, these things are old clothes that are completely inappropriate for our new lives in Christ. They don't fit now that we've been joined to Jesus. Take them off. They don't belong. Because there are new clothes we put on instead, uh, clothes that are appropriate for the new you. Verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, that's who we are in Jesus, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Those are the clothes that fit now. That's what it looks like to live out our new life in Christ, to, to take off the old and put on the new. And to help us do that, here's a thought. If you're anything like me, you don't like being told what to do. We, um, we fear that others are going to restrict us, take away our freedom, and they're telling us to do stuff. But it's not like that with God. His commands are for our good. That phrase there in verse 10, the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. See, here's what God's calling us to do on the screens, to take off things that ruin our humanity and to put on things that restore our humanity. God created us to live a fully human life, to grow and mature and flourish as fully alive human beings. And when God calls us, to, calls us away from something, He's not just doing that for the sake of it. He's calling us away from stuff that spoils our humanity, that damages us. Uh, things like greed and lust and anger. You know, we don't always hear it that way. We think God is out to restrict us, but His commands are for our good. Uh, those things might seem harmless, might even seem freeing. But lust is like a, a pretty set of chains that ensnare us. 
Greed is like a disease that eats away at us. Anger is like a fire that consumes us. And when God tells us to do things, he's telling us, throw off the chains, get rid of the disease, put out the fire. He calls us away from stuff that ruins our humanity. And he calls us to stuff that restores it, compassion, kindness, love. That's how we were made to be. He's making us more human, more the people that we should be. In fact, he's making us more like him, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, forgiving. Who's that? That's God. Isn't this glorious? God isn't restricting us. He is restoring his beautiful image in us. Right now, God is in the process, through belonging to Jesus, of making the perfect Michael Nicholson, uh, the perfect Martha, uh, the perfect Eddie. That's what God's doing in us if we belong to Christ. Isn't that good? And here's a final thought. God calls us to take off relationship breakers and to put on relationship makers. I'm sorry about the silly rhyme, but uh, you get the point. Those things God calls us to, to take off, um, maybe you've noticed they all break relationships. Relationship with God, uh, the things in verse 5, their idolatry, choosing something else over God. And God hates them. They stir up his wrath. But also relationships with others. Um, just, just look at verse 8 and think, can you imagine what our church would be like if we didn't obey this? We couldn't even begin to function as a community. Or verse 9. Isn't it interesting that um, of all the things that Paul could have told us not to do, he singles out lying I guess because lying means there's no trust, no relationship that works between people. Or how about verse 11? Um, that person at church who we ignore, the person we're tempted to avoid, what if we looked at that person as if Christ is in them, joined to him? When we ignore them, we're ignoring Christ. When we snub them, we're snubbing Christ. Uh, young, old, black, white, new church member. Christ is all that matters, and he's in all his people. And verse 14, here's what God calls us to put on above everything else. Love. See, there's, there's lots in this letter about maturity but the maturity that God calls us to and grows us in, it's not some individualistic thing. Uh, my personal progress. It's about relating to others in love, walking with one another in kind, gentle, forgiving love. More on that next week. Well, as we finish, here are two questions for us uh, to reflect on, but also to discuss with others, maybe after the service, maybe at home. First one is about expressing change. Uh, how is it that God is calling us to change our clothes? 
Is there something here that God is pressing on you to take off? Something that doesn't fit with your new life in Christ? Positively, is there something God is pressing you to put on to further live out your new life in Christ? Well, if so, then, uh, you know, I realize that lots of the things in these verses, these changes aren't going to happen overnight. They're, um, they're deep struggles that we need help with. So you might find it helpful to talk to someone about this stuff. Because uh, that's what we're here for. Um, someone once said that church is people in need of change helping people in need of change to live out our new life in Christ. For the second question, I wanted to finish by bringing us back to the engine uh, that drives all of this forward. Remember, we, we don't pursue change through self-help, but by setting our minds on Christ and our new life in Him. So how are we going to do that? You know, this week, how is it that we're going to set our minds on Jesus and all we have in Him? Be good to be intentional about that and to think, how are we going to make this part of our lives? Well, um, let me lead us in a prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that for us who feel the force of these calls to change, uh, that we're not left on our own, that you've sent your Son, and that by trusting in Him, you've drawn us into His story, given us new life. Thank you for the, the great change that's already happened. And we pray, Father, for us who belong to Him, you would help us to make these changes, uh, to more and more put off things that don't belong and to put on things that, that are good and beautiful and more human and more like you. Uh, and Father, we pray you'd help us as a community to be growing in love for each other and to be the kind of community where we help each other make these changes. And we pray it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.